Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good to see everyone and take it from someone who grew up in Boise. This is what March likes to do. February gives you these wonderful moments where you're like, spring is here, it's coming, it's feeling good, and then March goes, no, you're not going to get that yet. So thanks for getting up. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are going to continue on today in James, in chapter 3. We are in this third main section of James, talking about pursuing peace. Right? It's under this, this big heading of being perfect and complete in Jesus. He started out by, by encouraging us to walk through trials with our Lord and then talked about how we should walk in obedience in good works. And now we're in this section where he's making it very practical. He's moving from the general to specific. You know, Last week, we started out with the idea of taming our tongue. And here's what we learned about taming our tongue. We, we learned that we should not underestimate the power of our tongue and our words. Our tongue is dangerous. It's like a fire and a stain, and it reveals the true sin that's within us. The tongue cannot be tamed, but we can hope in God who can tame it, who can change us. And the tongue is duplicitous, unlike God and unlike our new identity in Jesus Christ. One of the things that we talked about last week is how James is doing a really great job of taking everything that he, he taught us in chapters 1 and 2, and now he's laying on top of that information these particular sins, the, the sin of the tongue, the sin of words. And if we were to think about it, it's, it's a great way for us to think about any sin in our life. Now, this is what we, we talked about last week, that we should not underestimate the power of any of our sin, how hurtful it is, how hard it can be on others. Our outward sin is dangerous, any of it. Fire and a stain, and it reveals the true sin that's still left in our hearts, even as the Lord continues to work on us. You know, our sin cannot be tamed by us, but we all have hope in Christ for all of it. And our sin is duplicitous, and not who we're meant to be today in Jesus. You know, we, we, we talked about how this section, James is going from very general to much more specific. And when, when James does that, when any part of the Bible does that, that can feel a little hard. Uh, we like to think about these, these big pictures of God, this big understanding of who I am, but if you're going to be specific about what I might need to actually change in my life, what might need to be actually different, that can begin to feel a little hard. You know, we all have different experiences with sermons, with reading. I don't know if you guys have had these, but sometimes I'll read through something, I'll even preach through something, and then it'll be like, man, that was wonderful, that was helpful, and then over the next week, maybe the next month, maybe it's a year or so from then, God brings it home in a very real and powerful way, and I see how it matters to me. In fact, I've had that thought before, like, oh, I've preached on that before. I should have remembered that. And maybe you have the opposite experience, though, where sometimes you, you, you're sitting there, and you're reading something with the Lord. You, you're, you're hearing a sermon, and you're like, Lord, did my, did my kids write you a letter last night? Like, this is exactly what's going on in my life. This is exactly what's working in my heart. You know, we, we have that, that feeling in many different ways, and it's because we're all coming at this morning at our life from many different positions. You know, it, we have different things that are going on in our work, different things that are going on with our family, different things that are going on in our church. And I want to encourage you that we can all trust in a very good God. Like for me, we set up this James series back in January, not knowing where I was going to be, not knowing where you were going to be, not knowing where our church was going to be, and yet here's where God has us this morning. 
something good that we can trust him in, that it is for us and for our growth, for our encouragement, and ultimately that we might love and enjoy the Lord. So I want to encourage you in that as you think about these hard things when they come up. In fact, when you think about hard things, if you think about how last week was maybe hard, if it might feel hard this week, maybe think to pray for Bren. You know, this, this next week, we're going to be gone. This is your one announcement during the sermon. We won't be here meeting. If you come, it's, we're going to be doing Serve the City. If you'd like to learn more about that, talk to a leader or look at the Church Center app. But Bren, when he, we come back the week after, Bren is going to be back in the pulpit. I'm so excited. Bren gets to start with these words in his passage. So you're welcome, Bren. I think if anyone could maybe make that feel loving and joyful and happy, Bren can maybe do that. So be ready for that. But let's start this morning in James. We have a longer section. We're going to look at 3.13 through 4.3. We're going to kind of tackle it all in one big chunk at first, and then we'll split it up. So let's look at it together in your Bibles or on the screen, your phone app. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at a war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, at first glance, we can see two, two kind of separate ideas here. You know, James starts out with this idea uh, of wisdom from above and wisdom from below, what they both look like and why we should pursue them and what they work in our lives. And then second, uh, we see this other section here talking about uh, what causes quarrels and fights. Uh, how does that come about? Why is it occurring in our life? You know, and at first glance, you're like, these must be really separate. In fact, our Bible puts a chapter verse right in the middle of it. And I'm reminded of a professor who once told me that whenever you see chapter verses and verse numbers, remember, they were likely put in by a drunk monk on a donkey on a dirt road, right? They can be helpful at times, but not always, right? They have historical reasons why they're there. They're sometimes there to push particular philosophies and theologies. But in this case, these two sections really go together. And I think we're going to see that easily this morning. You know, there's a connection between them. James at this first part is not talking about just a general wisdom overall. He's talking about a very particular wisdom, a, a very purposeful kind of wisdom. It's a wisdom that realizes and produces what James says here. It produces a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the kind of, of wisdom he wants us to see. It's a wisdom that knows how to engage quarrels. How to, how to help when, when we're in them. It's what we should be thinking about in a quarrel and, Lord willing, before we ever get into a quarrel. You know, our section this morning is sort of arranged backwards, as it were. You know, James 4, 1 through 3 is really the situation. It's what James is thinking about when he's thinking about these brothers and sisters that he knows, uh, what he sees happening. They're, they're having some sort of fights between them, some sort of arguments. And then James 3, 13 through 18 is the heart that he wants them to have. What he wants to think about that he thinks will motivate them, change them, make these quarrels turn out differently. So knowing that, this morning we're going to tackle this backwards. We're going to start with 4, 1 through 3, look carefully at what the situation is, and then backtrack to three thirteen through 18 to see the heart that James is speaking about. 
So let's look at just this last section here, 4, 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet it and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Quarrels, fights. And that word for quarrel can be a broad word, meaning just some sort of strife and even struggle with others. But when it's paired with this word fight outside of Scripture, it literally means battles, like the killing of someone. And you might even think that's where James is going here. When you look to the very next verse, and he talks about murdering. And some scholars have actually gone down that direction. Uh, one reason we kind of don't think about that on, often in our culture is we forget how brutally awful the time period around Jesus was. I mean, the Roman Empire did not grow because Rome came over to its neighbors and said, hey, you want to share some stuff with me? They came in with a sword and an iron fist through much blood and took over everything. And in fact, Israel was one of those hotbeds of places. Just a little before Jesus in 168 BC, one of the kings of the Roman Empire came down, set up a statue to Zeus in the temple of God, and then just to spite the Jews, killed pigs on the altar of God to defile it. Right? That led to this rise up of a group called the Maccabees. Right? They rise themselves up and they, they fight back and it's, it's going on for many, many years and they call themselves zealots. They're zealous for God. They want to see this, this Jewish state again. And that term stays even to Jesus' day. That's where we see Simon the Zealot. Right? So you have Jesus here with fishermen, tax collectors, and a zealot. Someone who was fighting against the Roman Empire, wanting to see it overthrown, that there would be a new Jewish expression there. But it's, it's so hard when you look at this to go like, is James really talking about brothers and sisters, as he's calling them, who want to kill each other? I mean, the Corinthian church wasn't even that bad. And they were horrible. Rather, when we look at Scripture and we look at, at what these words mean in the New Testament, we see something different. Now, here's Paul. Paul uses them three different times. He says in 2 Corinthians, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn fighting without and fear within. He says to Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Or he says to Titus, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Even if that first example has some, some semblance of fighting without, maybe people coming in opposition against them, all of it is much more closely to what James is talking about here, this idea of verbal battles that Paul calls foolish controversies. And that makes sense when you think about our section. We're talking about the tongue, our, our mouths, our words. And it makes sense when you're talking about these, these just foolish ways that we get into arguments with one another. That works well with what we see James saying that we're prone to do with our tongue. You know, we even have phrases like this in English where we might say something like, you know, Winston Churchill really loved a good verbal battle with other politicians. Uh, we, we say something similar and what's interesting to note when we look at these other uses in the New Testament is that the type of quarrels that James is talking about likely aren't about reasoned disagreements or high theological positions. Rather, they're things we probably shouldn't really be arguing about anyway. I mean, they, they are, they're unprofitable. They're worthless, as Paul says. Have you ever had that experience? You get done with an argument, maybe the next day, and you're like, we were arguing over how to stir the soup. Like, why were we doing that? <laughs> we, we have those kind of experiences in our lives. And I, I want to be sensitive that quarrels do oftentimes feel like this, though, especially when it's a close friend. It feels like death. 
It feels like something is being killed. There's a trust factor that's occurring. There, there's, there's a relational factor that's occurring. And I think that's why James even uses those kind of analogies here. We see those kind of quarrels day to day. We see it in our, in our business, in our families. Uh, we see it in our culture at large, and it's nothing new. And sadly, it's not new that Christians do this. Right? There was a 17th century Jewish philosopher. His name is Baruch Spinoza. And as he looked across at his culture, again, Jewish guy looking at Christians, this is what he said. He said, I've often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, bitter hatred, rather than the virtues which they profess is the readiest criteria of their faith. I wonder if he would maybe say the exact same thing if he came today and read a Twitter feed, looked at blog articles, news articles, oftentimes from Christians. You know, notice what James says here. He says that, that, that what's going on inside of us is that we have warring passions, warring passions that are causing these types of quarrels. And that idea for passion comes from the word hedone. It's where we get hedonism, a very self-introspective, only caring about yourself pleasure. You know, it's a very self-focused desire. And James gives two, desi- two ways that that can work out. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I mean, that should bring to mind so many biblical stories. And think about what Bren just taught in, about Joseph in Genesis, whose brothers were so envious, so jealous of what he had and what his father was giving him that they threw him into a pit and contemplated murdering him and then sold him into slavery. And we get Jesus himself, who we're told is turned over by the chief priest to Pilate to be executed because of envy in Mark 15.10. And we should also be thinking about all the different Christians that Acts records that, that are killed and persecuted because of jealousy and zeal, as Acts 5 and 13 says. And what we end up here in this section of 4, 1 through 3 is a chiasm, a mirrored section. It, it goes back and forwards. It says, you quarrel and fight because you have warring passions. You have bad or warring passions, therefore you quarrel and fight. And he's pointing to these, these things that are going inside of us that produce our quarrels. And there's several links here that link directly back up to James 3.13 through 18. You know, first we have all these different words. Quarrel, fight, desire, jealousy, covet. We're going to see how those are up above in James 3.13 as well. But then look at this section, how he ends here. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you have asked wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You should be sitting there going, don't have what? I didn't ask for what? If you read on in chapter four, you don't get an answer for that. You have to go back up to chapter three to realize that you don't have wisdom because you don't ask. You ask for the wrong kind of wisdom to justify yourself. That's what James wants them to see is going on in their quarreling. When they do ask God for something, they're so often not asking for his wisdom. Rather, they're looking for something to prop up their own passions, their own desires, that they don't have to get rid of them. Now, they're seeking to enable their current desires and not seek the will of God. It's with that context in mind that we want to go back up to James 3.13 and look at the heart of wisdom that James is hoping that we will ask for amidst quarrels or even before quarrels, you know, what we should ask for and what we should not pursue. He's going to describe both of those. So look again what James says. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, James exhorts those who have wisdom to demonstrate it by their good works. And he warns those who, who don't have wisdom not to say they have it because their works are actually going to expose their heart, expose what's really going on inside of them. So let's focus, focus first just on that top section. You know, James goes back to two themes that we've seen already in James. He talks about humility or meekness is how he talks about it here in James 1.21. And then he talks again about works. We saw that in James 2, 13 through 16. James is saying that that good works is how we demonstrate that we truly have humility, meekness. And it might be surprising to you, especially if you've been in the church very long, but humility and meekness were not prized in Jesus' day. In fact, they were looked down upon. You were not someone important if you walked around with humility and meekness, but that's not at all how Scripture talks about our Lord. In fact, look what Jesus says three times here in Matthew. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, I'm meek in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble, meek, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. Or Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, wisdom from God is in humility. It's in meekness because that's who he is. He came as the very God-man as a baby, reliant on others. He, he came to the cross riding on a foal, as he said, something not meant for anyone important. He, he reminds us to come and take rest in him and that he is the one who's promised that the meek and the humble will inherit the earth. You know, conversely, James says that those who don't have wisdom, those who don't have humility and meekness shouldn't boast because their hearts reveal bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Look again at this section. He shows that the contrast to humility is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Both of these words point back to the concept of quarreling that we saw in James 4, 1 through 3. Uh, this word jealousy is actually the same word that we have for zeal, to be zealous for something. That's the good idea of it. But when it's being used sinfully, we usually translate it jealous, covetousness. And that's exactly what we saw down below in 4. We saw when it said, you covet. That's the same word for zeal, for being jealous and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You know, that the word for selfish ambition is really only used here in James. But when we go outside of James into the rest of Greek literature, that word selfish ambition is always tied together with fighting, quarreling, striving against one another. So I think James is using it again to talk about this is the kind of wisdom that he's wanting us to find for quarreling in specific. Wisdom that helps us not have that kind. And what James is going to go on to do is unpack what does he mean then to be humble and have meekness. He's also going to unpack what does it look like to have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And he starts with the negative first. Here's what he says. He says, this selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. We've seen that phrase already from above. James talked about it at the beginning of James 1.17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's saying those things, the things that come from above are from God. 
They're, they're of his very nature, of his very character. It's his very goodness for me and you. But that's not what this looks like. Notice what he says. He says that this here is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now, those first two can be neutral sometimes. To be earthly just means from the earth. To be unspiritual just means something tangible, not from the spiritual realm. But all throughout Scripture, whenever those two are used, they're always in a negative sense, that we're giving back into our sin nature, to what we weren't meant to be. And I think that's why James pairs it here even with the word demonic, to help us understand its very origin, its very evilness. You know, these, these are not things that are products of sinners who are walking rightly with the Lord. They're, they're products of being sinners just in a sinful world. They don't come from the spiritual love of God our Father, and they are very unspiritual goals. In fact, they're very similar to what the demons do in wanting to do everything exactly the opposite of the Lord, even to the point of changing themselves that they might not look beautiful and glorious anymore. You know, these, at the end of the day, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition really are idols. There are things that we look at, whether it's ourself, selfish ambition, or jealousy, covetousness, something we want, but it's not God. And we set it up as the thing that we want most instead of him. And James says that that, that kind of a heart, a selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, is going to produce disorder in every vile practice. That's hard. I mean, the opposite of that would be this. Uh, when, when I used to, to do membership interviews with a pastor friend and mentor of mine, he used to say in every one of the interviews, I'm going to try to do the impossible now. I'm going to try to see your heart. I'm going to try to determine if you actually know and love Jesus by your testimony, by what you share with me, your joys in him. And I just can't really do that, but I'm going to do my best. Now, that's the opposite. On the other hand, so often what we experience when we encounter these difficulties, these sins in people's lives, is we have to say, I can't know your heart. All I can tell you is what I'm seeing, what is being demonstrated before me, things I would like you to consider, And then we have to trust the Lord to work in their heart to reveal what's really going on. And James here says that so often that's coming from a heart of selfishness, a heart of selfish ambition, from a heart of bitter jealousy. And James says it will produce two things. First, disorder. That's obviously clearly what occurs in quarreling. We're broken in fellowship with one another. We're not united anymore. We're not like our God who is true, who is singular, always for us, always for our good. You know, and sadly, we can't list all the ways that sin and what might come out in our quarrels. You know, this idea of every evil practice. James gives us some examples on the worst case end of actually murdering someone, coveting things, but we could add things like lack of charity, anger, confusion, accusations, and the like. Now, that's the exact opposite, James is saying, of what we would see if we were pursuing wisdom from God. He's saying that is not what we should want to see in our lives. Instead, what we should see is this. This is what we're seeking. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom from our God who is singularly focused and good, who's holy, will first and foremost be pure. That's what James means by that word. It's holy, it's good, it reflects him. And then James uses all the rest of these words to unpack what that means in particular. What would that really look like in our life? And James does something that you've probably seen pastors do often. If you've ever heard a pastor say something like, pursue the power of peace, right? Pastors like to do that. They like to alliterate. They like to hook words together, hopefully to make them memorable, hopefully to help you keep them in your mind. And James is doing that here. James is doing that with these different groups of words to help you know that certain sections of these words go together. 
We're meant to, to think about them as a package. He starts here with these first three words, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, erenike, epiakes, upiathes. He's alliterating through them. And these are a combination of ideas. And, and we start here with this idea of being peaceable. And the idea behind that is like, is the fight out of you? Do you no longer desire a fight? The author of Hebrews talks about it this way. He says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I don't know about you, but when God has discipled me, that's the same root as discipline, right? Growing me, challenging me, changing me, so much of what comes out of that is to realize that I shouldn't have fought him. He had only good for me. He was trying to grow me, show me things that I needed in my life. And that's the same idea here. And that makes sense. When we think about ourselves growing and, and, and the battle that we have with our tongue, giving into what the Lord has for us. You know, in the Old Testament in Proverbs, it talks about this as a person who, who is being considered as submissive, right? Proverbs 3.17 talks about it that way, that the person who's submissive is the one who loves peace. And just as an aside on submissiveness, I'd like to encourage you that submissiveness means you have to find something that you don't fully agree with, but it's not bad. It's not evil. If you've never been in a friendship, never been at a job, never been at a church, where you didn't find things that you disagreed with, yet they were still done okay, you haven't been submissive. You've just done things you agree with. To be submissive, you have to be somewhere, be in a place where you say, you know what, I wouldn't have done it that way. It's not evil, though, and so I'm okay. I'm going to trust the Lord in that. You know, this idea of being peaceable goes along with being gentle. Paul says it this way about Jesus. Paul says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right? Being humble, being peaceable also means being gentle, being careful in how you do things, being soft towards others. In fact, it's so important, it's in a qualification for elders, right? Paul says this to Timothy, that elders are not to be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome not a lover of money. And this pairs again with this third one, open to reason, which for me I found really illuminating. You know, that phrase there, open to reason, means easily persuaded. Now, not in the gullible, naive sense, but this is the sense. It's in this sense that open to reason means someone who will quickly give deference or give way to others around them and their perspective when it's not an issue of core theological or moral principles. Right? Someone who will quickly give deference to others around them and their perspective when it is not an issue of core theological or moral principles. I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about my life, I'm, it seems easy to see when I'm not being peaceful. It's easy to see when I'm not being gentle, and that happens way more often than I would like. But this idea I don't think I think about as often as being part of the same package. How often am I willing to be deferential, to defer to another person, when they have an idea that's just as fine as mine, as long as it's not an issue of, of, of moral imperatives or theological issues. I think too often we, we mistake what quarrels are really about. We do this. We, 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 make, we take the hills of quarreling and we try to make them into mountains of theological or moral imperatives. We act as though these issues between us are, are utmost and most important and they need to be fought and died on. So that's our first grouping, this first idea of, of together being peaceable, gentle, open to reason, willing to defer to one another. And then James moves on to a second phrase here, full of mercy and good fruits. You know, that phrase is echoing back up to James 2.13 and that idea that mercy triumphs over judgment. 
that out of mercy, the mercy of God in Jesus Christ for me and you should flow every good work that people might see, that we might find love of neighbor in Christ and demonstrate mercy to them as well. And we talked about that several weeks ago. You know, these last two go together as well. You know, impartial, sincere, adiocritas, anupakritas. They're not just an alliteration, they rhyme. He's trying to pull them together and say, these are a package. We are to be impartial, undivided, like our singular God. That obviously doesn't occur in a quarrel. And we're not to be duplicitous, as we've seen multiple times in James, but rather we're to be singularly focused on our brothers and sisters. You know, sincere, this idea behind sincere means don't play a part. In other words, even if you're in a quarrel and you're the one in it, you shouldn't take a part on either side. (laughs) It shouldn't be that kind of an issue for you. You know, this is an incredibly practical section. And I don't know about you, but like I, just this week in preparing for this, I think I had like three opportunities when I had discussions, as Christians like to say, with my wife, my kids, fights, arguments, and to think through what quarreling looked like in my own life. And here's what James is wanting us to walk away with. You know, quarrels are the disunity that we have in our non-theological, non-moral disagreements, and they are far too plentiful happens way too often. Quarrels are because of our selfish desires within ruling us, desires of selfish ambition and jealousy. We often don't have what we need in quarrels because we don't ask for wisdom from above. Instead, we seek wisdom that is earthly and spiritual and demonic that feeds our sinful passions of selfishness and jealousy. And to be clear, selfishness and jealousy are never true wisdom from God. When you're feeling that, you are not operating in what the Lord wants. Selfish, uh, the false wisdom will always produce, produce works of disorder in every evil practice. True wisdom from God is pure and found in humility. And true wisdom produces works that are peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, and impartial and sincere. If we understand all of that, we should be praying to the Lord, Lord God, please fill me with your spirit. Conform me more to be like Jesus Christ, that this might be what comes out of me all times, let alone in quarrels. And that we would see what James said in 3.18, that we would see a harvest of righteousness, righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. We want peace. We want peace to come from our tongue, to peace to come from our words and in every relationship that we have with others. You know, when I, when I pray about this, it makes me want to pray, God, would, would I find his love in me? And would I find his love in me and his mercy and fruit working through me that his love for others might be seen in me? That's what I, I want so badly in this, even in the midst of quarrels. And yet, oddly, here's one of the important things I think about quarrels that comes from something we don't even see in the passage. In fact, I think it's purposefully missing. Who won? Who was right? James doesn't care. We don't know if the person acting rightly is right or wrong. We don't know if the person who's acting poorly is right or wrong. What he wants us to notice is how are you acting? What is going on in your life? You know, earlier in this series, we talked about this about trials. We said, don't ask how to get out of your trials. Rather, ask what to get out of your trials. I think we do something similar with quarreling. We can say, don't ask, am I right in your quarreling? Rather, ask, how can I act right in my quarreling? Or said another way, James is clearly trying to say two things here, that true wisdom produces good works and true wisdom produces humility. Is that what we're looking for in our life? Is that what we're praying that God would work in us before quarrels and even in the middle of quarrels and disagreements and strife with one another? And here's the funny thought to me. 
that to the degree that we might pray and see this from God in our lives would likely be the degree to which we probably wouldn't even recognize quarrels anymore. That we could have a disagreement, a, a way that we don't see eye to eye with someone else, yet potentially in that moment, we could see in each other and how we're acting the very graciousness and gentleness and peaceable, peaceableness of God that points us back to this impartial and sincere and good God who chose me and you, even though we were sinners, to love and to care for? You know, might it be that we could even begin to see God in the midst of not seeing directly eye to eye with someone else and share him with others in that same manner? Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Father, would you help that to be true, Lord? Our differences are at times good. Our differences at times are sin. Yet, God, you are the one who amidst those differences can allow it by your grace and through your Holy Spirit to point each of us to you, to your wonderfully good character, your singularly good nature and wisdom and ways that we might know and love you more. Oh, Lord God, would you help us to pursue wisdom from above? Would you not let us listen to our sinful desires inside that are earthly and unspiritual and, Lord, frankly, demonic so often? Satan is tempting to pull us away from acting in ways that would would be becoming to you, to our identity now in Jesus Christ. Lord God, instead, would we fall on our knees in prayer to you for your wisdom, that you might work your character in us through your Holy Spirit that we might be found as peaceable, that we might be found as open to reason, that we might be seen as gentle, that, that your mercy might flow through us and that good works might be produced. And Lord God, would we be impartial and sincere in every interaction like you? Father God, you are so good. Thank you for bringing these kind of things to our minds and for pushing us back to the beauty of the wisdom that we find in being made perfect and complete in Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.